bi-weekly podcast going in-depth on pro-life news and issues. I'm your host, Chris Gast. Happy Friday, everybody. We have a lot to cover today. Uh, I'm not going to go into depth on any of these, uh, simply because I could do an episode on each one. We're going to talk about four important things that happened since our last podcast. Uh, So if you want more information on any of these, as always, go to our website, www.rtl.org. Call us, email us, info at rtl.org. We're always there to help you, always there to assist you. Uh, Our new president, uh, newly inaugurated President Donald Trump, immediately in office reinstated the Mexico City policy. This is uh, basically what we want to do to Planned Parenthood uh, inside our borders. The Mexico City policy, as I believe we've talked about before, it prevents any organizations overseas from receiving taxpayer funding if they provide or promote abortions. So any money that goes through USAID to an organization now can't go to an organization that provides or promotes abortions overseas. A lot of groups that this would affect, for example, would be International Planned Parenthood Federation, uh, Marie Stopes International, which is a very large international abortion chain, Basically, again, this is what we want to do to Planned Parenthood at home, uh, but we're doing it abroad. We don't want to be exporting abortion to other countries. A lot of these groups pressure other countries, uh, particularly you think about Poland, Ireland, um, Central America, South America, some African countries. These countries are really pressured to legalize abortion or support abortion. Uh, Philippines is another great example. Um, We don't want to be doing that. Abortion is not an export. And so kudos to President Trump for following through on that promise. Uh, He signed that executive order the day after the anniversary of Roe v. Wade. It was first instituted in 84 by Reagan, and every president since then has either upheld or overruled the Mexico City policy. Um, It's called the Global Gag Rule by organizations that are mad they will no longer be getting our taxpayer funds so they can promote abortion. It's very, very positive. A small but important step. Uh, Immediately after the Mexico City policy was passed, uh, the U.S. Congress passed the No Taxpayer Funding of Abortion Act. And uh, the House voted on it. Uh, The Senate It's probably not going to be considered because it will be filibustered. But what this law would do is basically make the Hyde Amendment permanent and extend it across the government. Currently, the Hyde Amendment only applies to uh, certain parts of the government through appropriations, specifically the Department of Health and Human Services. Uh, We want that to cover every government program, and we want it to be permanent as opposed to a yearly reauthorization. Specifically, this uh, law would, if it were passed, would apply to Obamacare because the Obamacare exchanges and how that works with uh, insurance money uh, going towards abortion. It's a little complicated, nothing that we've talked about yet on the podcast. Um, We have some information about it on our website. We won't get into too much of it now, um, but that would end that because that funding is outside of 
the Department of Health and Human Services, where the Hyde Amendment applies. And again, this is just direct funding of abortion. As we know, for example, uh, Planned Parenthood, that's indirectly a way that we're funding abortion, uh, moving money around in their budget to help promote their abortion programs. Uh, so this is what just taking care of the direct, permanent, you can't directly use taxpayer dollars to pay for abortions. Just a week ago, we had the 44th Annual March for Life. It was a great march. Um, it just astounds me every year. It gets bigger. It gets younger, if that's any more possible than it already is. Uh, the energy this year was great. Uh, we could feel the pro-life momentum, uh, both nationally and in the states. Uh, just before the March for Life, I want to address first, was the Women's March. A uh, week before, it was sandwiched right between the inauguration and the March for Life, so a lot of D.C. residents were pretty sick of people traveling in. Um, the Women's March, I don't know how it exactly started out, but how it ended was basically a march in favor of abortion. Uh, you listen to some of the extremely vulgar speeches by uh, Ashley Judd, Madonna, some of the signs, some of the very odd, strange costumes that some of the people were wearing. Um, it, and despite all this, it got a lot of media attention, or maybe because of it, it got a lot of media attention. Just in Michigan, um, I mean, just to give you an idea of the level of media attention, there was a story I saw about women who were making homemade poster board signs for the Women's March. And, and that was what the story was. The, the hook of this new story was women drawing letters with marker on poster board. I mean, I've done a lot of, I've done a lot of that before. I've never had a reporter ask me about uh, technique I use with my marker. Um, you know, and not to be too uh, derogatory, obviously everyone has a right to protest and to get their message out there. Uh, obviously, I've created plenty of protest uh, or march signs myself. Um, it's not exactly newsworthy, uh, but the Women's March got tons of coverage like that. Got news stories about how to get to the march, what to do while you're there, this person's traveling there, that person's traveling there. Um, just a deluge of media coverage. And if you uh, listen to the speeches during the debate over the No Taxpayer Funding for Abortion Act, all of the almost all of the representatives who are pro-abortion mention the Women's March. Um, now it's important to note that you know every other decade or so, whether it's in Michigan or nationally, that uh, pro-abortion people will turn out for a very large event, but they melt away again as soon as the event is over. Contrast that with the March for Life, which is every year, and again, as I said, every year it gets larger and larger and younger and younger. Um, there's a lot of speculation about crowd size. I don't go into much of that myself, you know. Once you start getting beyond, uh, you know, enough people that you could fit into the big house, uh, you know, at the University of Michigan, you know, once you're past 100,000 people, it's just a ton of people. Um, and whether it's inauguration, an inauguration or the Women's March or the March for Life, just large, huge, comparable crowds. Um, some people were saying the March for Life was bigger than the Women's March, um, you know, I'll let you be the judge of that, but I can tell you over 44 years that the amount of people who've gone to the March for Life is larger than anything else out there. And I think that's newsworthy. Uh, this year, the March for Life did get a lot better news coverage, actually. Uh, I did. I had took two media calls from French news stations, 
which was very strange, unprecedented. The Detroit Free Press, actually, uh, I think they were the ones that ran that story about the women making the poster boards, but they did a really good story on the March for Life. Uh, They interviewed us, a couple of our affiliates, some students going. I think that's where the French uh, stations even, uh, there was a radio uh, station uh, network in France, and their wire service picked up on it from there. Um, So that was very encouraging. And uh, an organization called Newsbusters did a little analysis, and the March for Life got a lot more coverage than it usually did. But it still pales in the comparison what the Women's March got, even though it's comparable numbers. And the Women's March, you know, I guess it's newsworthy because it's a one-time thing. The March for Life is not a one-time thing. It's an all-the-time-every-year thing. And, uh, you know, the march itself was very good. Um, I really didn't even... Get, wasn't able to see how big the rally was myself because I was right in the crowd in front of the stage. I could have thrown a football and hit uh, Vice President Mike Pence, although I wouldn't do that. Uh, if you're listening, Secret Service, I don't want to hit the Vice President with a football. Um, you know, the way the march, the rally was set up, it was right next to the Washington Monument where there's kind of a bit of a hill. Uh, because of Vice President there, there's security screening, so they could only let so many people in. Luckily, I got there a couple hours early, so it was very easy for me. Uh, a lot of people were not lucky enough to even get close to the stage. Um, so it was it was a little different, but it was very good. Uh, Vice President Mike Pence, very pro-life guy. He's given speeches there before as a representative, um, did an outstanding job. Uh, a couple other notable speeches, uh, Eric Metaxas, uh, the author who did an autobiography on Dietrich Bonhoeffer, had a bit of a shtick through his uh, speech that the, really, the crowd really loved um, when he said, are you covering this, ABC? <laughs> um, C-SPAN was there watching the whole thing. Uh, a lot of, uh, I went with some students, uh, they really liked Representative Mia Love's speech, um, the uh, the final the final blessing I don't know who it was but it was definitely something that gets you rearing going uh, to go out there and, and march uh, from the monument all the way around the Capitol building to the Supreme Court um, just the energy was great again you know the momentum that was felt there uh, it's very encouraging and um, you know and the the women's march I think actually helped the march for life uh, we had just in our office, on our website, uh, calls, people wondering, is there an event here? How do I get to the March for Life? Um, I think that was really good. Pro-Life people saw it. Um, they obviously got kicked out of the Women's March. Uh, two pro-life women's groups weren't allowed. I guess if you're a pro-life woman, which half of women are generally pro-life, I guess you're not allowed to be a woman or not allowed to be a feminist or your views don't matter, according to the Women's March. But uh, they showed up in the March for Life. Um, Again, a lot of lot of women, men, tons of young people, middle-aged, old. Uh, I guess I'm kind of starting to get towards middle age myself. Um, a lot of students, it was just very encouraging. And um, a lot of people ready to go um, and continuing this momentum. And speaking of that, the most important story, uh, Donald Trump nominated uh, Circuit Court Justice Neil Gorsuch to fill Antonin Scalia's vacancy on the Supreme Court. Uh, you do a little reading and research on Judge Gorsuch. He's a really excellent pick. He's in the mold of Antonin Scalia. He's spoken very positively of Scalia, uh, shares the same philosophy that judges are referees. They're not players in the game. 
You know, it's the job of voters and legislators to look towards the future and determine our course. It's the job of judges to look back in the past, what was said, what are our laws, what did people agree on, um, respecting the democratic process. We look at issues like Roe v. Wade. Um, obviously, there are, are ways. It's not in the Constitution, abortion isn't. Uh, if you don't like how the Constitution is, there's an amendment process. If you don't like a law, there is a legislature to pass it. Uh, on the state level, sometimes you have even have voter referenda, like in Michigan. There's many opportunities for people to change laws, but it's not for judges to do. Judges are not elected; they're not. They don't answer to people. As Gorsuch has said, um, personally, it's not important what I believe; it's what the law says, and that's how Gorsuch seems to be uh, willing to be as a Supreme Court justice, and that's really what you want. This is a great job by President Trump fulfilling a campaign promise. He gave uh, two separate lists, uh, well, smaller list and then a larger list of justices he might consider for the Supreme Court. Gorsuch was on it. Uh, a lot of the media was speculating about him throughout the process. He really did an interesting thing um, the, the night that he announced it. got a lot of media attention. It was almost like a uh, you know signing day special for college Football, you know, where the student decides which college he's going to go to. Is it going to be Neil Gorsuch? Was it going to be another judge that was rumored to be flying down to D.C.? Um, it got a lot of positive attention. Uh, and uh, I thought one poignant moment I just wanted to point out was um, Scalia's wife, you know, the late Antonin Scalia's wife was there in attendance, and Trump specially acknowledged her uh, during his brief introduction of Gorsuch. And so, very positive. Now, process is going to be very, very long. Uh, maybe into April, it's going to go to uh, the Judiciary Committee. There's going to be hearings. Then uh, if he passes through those, then it's going to be done to the full Senate. Is there going to be a filibuster? Isn't there going to be a filibuster? Um, we'll talk about these things in, in more detail in two weeks, Well, where we're going to specially focus on this. But uh, just right now, it's important that uh, you let our two senators, Gary Peters and Debbie Stabenow know that Neil Gorsuch is a well-qualified jo uh, judge, that everyone everyone agrees he's well-qualified, he believes in the rule of law, which is what the role of a judge should be, and he deserves an up-or-down vote in the Senate, a fair hearing. He does not deserve to be filibustered. Only once in history has a judge been filibustered, and that judge uh, was already on the Supreme Court and um, very controversial, uh, left a year later because of a bribery scandal, and um, the Senate then, uh, it was Abe Fortas, uh, LBJ nominated him to be the Chief Justice of the Court, not just a regular justice, and the Senate said no, with good reason. Uh, really shady guy. Neil Gorsuch, not a shady guy. Awesome judge. The best, as Trump might say, and I think he did during his speech. So please call your senators, let them know that they deserve, uh, that they should not filibuster him. He deserves a fair hearing. Remember, Debbie Stabenow is up for election in 2018. Uh, it's going to be a stiff hill to climb for Senate Democrats. There's going to be political consequences if they filibuster, and they need to understand that. So this is something that you can do, and you can actually have a chance to impact. Usually on our pro-life laws, uh, our senators have a deaf ear currently. Um, but you can influence them, and they probably won't vote for Gorsuch, but you can influence them about that filibuster. So go out there and do that. 
uh, in two weeks, we'll again we'll go over this a little more detail, the process, the nomination, um, a little bit more background on Gorsuch. You know, in the meantime, if you can't wait two weeks, it's all on our website. We have an excellent flyer right on our front page, rtl.org, um, just giving some background information on Gorsuch. I would encourage you to check that out. All right, that's all the time we have for this week. Join us again, two weeks, Supreme Court. We'll follow up on anything else. Uh, Planned Parenthood defund is still lurking out there as part of Obamacare. It's been a busy January, and let's hope it's a busy February for pro-life issues. Have a wonderful weekend, and we'll see you then.